Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Murray Boise Barlin. Hi, Murray, how are you? I'm very good. We had a big election on the weekend. We didn't get in. No one voted. We didn't vote for you. Well, I, well look, what the thing is, I've, I've decided to maybe wait, maybe till next election. Oh, you're already a politician. Look <laughs> at you turning and spinning around. No, let me try well, again. Hang on. Um, I'm sorry, but I, I don't agree with the premise for your question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waiting for journalists to say I don't agree with the premise of your answer. Um, <laughs> well, look, who cares about caring for our family and friends at home rather than placing them in residential aged care? That's what we're talking about today. I I care about that. And, and we got to hear from Judy Cornish, who was just talking about um, intuition and uh, what we sense from one another that actually isn't um, language and all of the things that we commonly believe are part of the way we rationally connect. Uh, it was a it was lovely to hear that perspective on how humans connect. But Mori, you must have loved it because mm-hmm. this is right up your alley too in terms of um, those kind of connections and those intuitive skills. Um, how does when you heard her talk about intuitive skills, things like I think she called them inductive skills, which is everything you see and experience and smell um, that isn't uh, what's commonly thought of deductive rational skills. How did all of that connect with you intuitively um, <laughs> with with your work? It well, it, look, it's a direct a direct connection. It was highly stimulating, but I have to declare. A conflict of interest here because I am a big fan and also <laughs> a friend and a colleague of Judy Cornish's. We talk on Zoom, uh, you know, re- regularly, and and one of the things is is that she really is so simply accessible with the way she puts the perspective across. Mm. And, and and when I first talked to her, that really stunned me was the idea of um, thinking about intuitive thinking and rational thinking and the difference between the two. And is, that like irony? The way... is that irony, Boz? Thinking, <laughs> about, thinking about rational thinking and intuitive... Sorry, keep going. I was, I was, <laughs> I was ironically, and it's not even a word called ironically. So, folks, we're talking about the Ashes interview with Judy Cornish this week, the fabulous Judy Cornish, and, and her Dawn Method. Um, I remember, you know, people asking about, well, what is this? And the thing I love about, I'll come back to what you said about intuitive thinking, but just to put it in perspective, Judy's whole mission is to enable people to keep their family members or their friends, the ones that they care for at home rather than putting them in nursing homes and then finding ways for them to understand how to work and be a teammate with their elders. And this Mm -hmm. is what I loved. And I thought you would love it because she also talks a lot about dignity and the right to dignity and choice. So intuitive thinking really inspires me because this is totally the space that I'm operating in. Now, like you said, it's irony because I have to rationally think about how I'm going to approach somebody and think (laughs) about strategies and think before I go in, well, what, you know, with with my craft, I'm trying to to elicit um, connected, meaningful responses and to connect with them, of course. But 
then it's all intuition when I'm in the room and sitting with somebody. And, and I love the way that she talks about operating as a teammate. So this was right up my alley. This yeah, story. I thought, I thought so. so. What, did, what did you, what did you, I mean, I find her very warm as well when she yeah. speaks. And that simple, simple example of someone who's lost a skill of sight and then you grab their head and you point them in a direction to say, look, see, there it is. You can see it now. Yeah. It was so clear. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important for families because one of the things that I do see, and I, it pains me greatly, people think that someone, say, with if their dementia is memory loss related, they will assume that they can teach them, that they can, they will remember something. And if that skill is lost to the disease of dementia, then it's not going to come back. And you see people wrestling with their loved one, trying to get them to do things that, they can no longer do. Mm. So how do you meet them? And I, I, li- I like that. This. Yeah, how do you how do you meet them as equals, as peers, as uh, as a team? As she said, I re- I really liked. I'm not sure about the hard, um, the really hard line between what constitutes intuitive and um, rational. Mm. I think uh, I think that's going to be incredibly individual for each person. And I ha- and I have seen people regain skills, especially when their confidence. Um, they're in a really trusting environment, and mm. um, a- and they feel that that it's sort of like I like her approach because it isn't focused on right. How can we get this person to to um, to do this better so that I understand them and recognise them. Um, so it's much more of a social model thinking, how can we make sure the environment, including me, including schedules, <laughs> including how people speak to one another, how can we make sure that that environment is is um, set up to make everybody understand each other? So yeah. I, I really liked, I really liked that. I think um, I liked the, especially that, you know, I'm, I've got all my abilities to feel emotions and joy and sorrow. And and obviously to feel humiliation. Yeah. And who who wants to live in a society where humiliation's okay, where that's normalised, you know? And that she linked that to people taking over, you know, daughters taking over, sons taking over, partners um, taking over, because none of us wants our partners to you know to take over everything. And that's so normalised that you know this person yeah. doesn't fit this, so we'll just talk to someone else on their behalf. So it would be wonderful if what was mainstreamed and what was normalised is just an understanding that dementia is the leading cause of death of women in Australia. We're going to have to change our – we're going to have to mainstream um, connecting with each other um, in different ways. I I, – you know, you're talking about there, you know, like with a a family member. She talked – Judy talked about – the instructive or directive approach, and she talked, said, and I thought you might like this. It's exceedingly costly to say to our elders, "You have no choice." Yeah, di- you know, dignity. And I really that that really shook me. I, I replayed that a, a number of times just yeah. to listen to that because we. Um, she's just saying, well, like you know, when she said that there's one person in charge, the other person is supposed to fall into line, then we're going to have trouble. And that we and this is the bit that really clenched me. We're setting ourselves up to fail. Yeah, we're setting ourselves up, not themselves. We're setting ourselves up to fail with that. And I thought that was really profound, because I, I guess, 
you were just talking about skills coming back. And, and I agree, there is a grayer line there, I think. Um, but I guess Only because I've witnessed point. it, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I have too, because I've seen, I see people that, you know, aren't going to remember, I might have used this example before, but a woman that I was seeing every Wednesday who had a memory loss related to so Alzheimer's. And so every Wednesday, how did I get here? Oh, who are you? You're, yeah, oh, yeah, I know you, don't I? And every week, you know, we went, it was a few months, a number of months. And then one Wednesday I arrived and I spoke to her and she said, oh, I've got something for you. And my buddy, who was uh, an AIN, who used to come around on the rounds with me, we looked at each other like, what? She's got something. How did she remember that she's... Then she went to the drawer, so she remembered where it was, and then she pulled out some photos. And she said, I've got some photos to show you, because I used to show photos all the time. How does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And I asked somebody that I respected greatly, and they went, I don't know. I'm not going to explain that one. No, that's great to hear someone say, I don't know, because, again, mm. I, think, I think her coming to this, and I love that she purposely didn't read any books or – uh, because she mm. saw, I mean, that's that's evidence based practice. Basically, what what Judy was in, uh, applying there was evidence based practice. She saw the outcome of um, of all of these thinkings and workings we have around um, how we treat people with dementia. She saw the outcome of it and thought the ev- the evidence tells me that's dodgy. Mm. So I'm not going to read it. So I don't enter into that relationship, into into that situation with any preconceived ideas and assumptions because being human, we, we're going to homogenize an experience. If we learn a bit about dementia, that's going to be on our lens when we meet someone with dementia. So I think it was really um, fantastic that she was just like, I'm not reading the guidebook for what these people follow to get that outcome. <laughs> So, so that she just encountered people without any of that nonsense. Because once you get sucked into it, you do it. It's um, then you have to undo all of that to meet people afresh, and not think about the word behaviours, and not think about what the experts are telling us. And of course, the experts really don't know much about dementia. As like you know, it's it's such a mystery to how each individual human being is experiencing um, a varied range of cognitive losses and 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 that clinical medical view of it when we know that there's been no breakthroughs in medication for over 20 years when we know that when people get a diagnosis there's nothing they can really do for people apart from you know what can they medically do for someone who has a diagnosis of, of dementia there's some drugs that there's a lot of debate either way that they extend sort of memory a bit longer. But so it, it, I think it's the lack of humility and a lack of recognition of the mystery where, you know, the, um, I know I say this a lot, but I think it's important. The OECD in their report on dementia said, yeah, there's been nothing new in 20 years and largely it's still a medical mystery. And I think the key um, is clinicians and medical people really um, acting with the kind of humility that that kind of fact should warrant. If that, do you know what I mean by that? 
Yeah, yeah. I, you have said that before, and I've always liked that, and and I've always agreed with that. There hasn't been anything for a long time, and I do like the idea of the medical mystery. And I think you know, if we look at how how normally research may work, you know, after we don't get results for a while, we change tact. And I just sort of feel like is now the time where we change tact now, and we look at it as of much more as a well being rather than a medical issue. Judy talked about people looking at behaviours, which is a word I don't think either of us really dig. Um, And she talked about people finding themselves in situations that they used to be able to cope with and now they're no longer able to cope with. And then we see that as some, like she said, I didn't see any crazy people. (laughs) She saw people responding to 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 cope, responding to try and um, cope with what was presented to them where they once were able to cope, um, and I thought that spoke volumes about her, not her just her approach, but her view of of people. Um, I think yeah, I think her um, take on that um, has been adopted um, specifically from her. Um, take on this actually there's been a lot of different groups and um, academics and uh, and professionals who've taken that um, as especially her take that people's stress reaction is a really normal response Mm. to that kind of a loss it's 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 probably the most normal response to being treated differently by by your by your partner you know, if your partner's starting to boss you around, you're going to go, "Hey, who do you mm. think?" You know, the fact that she 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 reframes it as a normal response to that frustration of like not you know not not being able to put your shoes and socks on, and that's so different from people with a lifelong maybe intellectual disability who are learning and developing those skills as they go. There's she's always been better, been able to put her shoes on. You know that wouldn't that be frustrating? Like that she can just actually align it with her own feelings and say, "Gosh, if that was me," and so automatically she's seeing that other person as a human, an equal human. Gosh, if that was me, that would just drive me crazy. That would make me bonkers. I would just be so frustrated, and that's an and you'd be stressed and these that. It would be abnormal not to respond to that. It would be so you know, abnormal. Really abnormal. Use... And a lot of people have taken her um, revelation on that, actually, her really normalising these responses by saying through empathy, not empathy as in feeling sorry for, empathy as in saying, gosh, if that was me and I couldn't button up my shirt and I'd always been able to, I'd do that would be frustrating. You know, I I was putting on a shoe while I was holding my puppy the other day and I was trying to slip the shoe on and I stumbled and I fell and I got really cranky. And I'm just thinking of that instance now because I remember thinking, oh, my God, like what this is what it's like when you can't coordinate stuff. You know, it's this mm. very simple task and, and the frustration and I swore, you know, and then my daughter goes, yeah, all right, Dad. Like, how am I going to explain to my daughter I just fell over trying to put my shoe on? Um, it is frustrating. I um, I like so much about this talk. You know, there is another thing that I don't, I I, I don't know if it really was part of of, of the talk, but I, I I 
I've been following now a few of the Judy's trained uh, Dawn dementia practitioners who she's been training. There's a couple of them, Terry Zug, Jill Couch, I think is another one, uh, Donna Marante. They they are now going out because Judy's big thing I know is, is to train other people because she just can't be everywhere, but also to get it out to enable others to share the, the knowledge. What do you think and how important do you think it is for people to keep their family members and their friends at home rather than going off to aged oh, care. I think that's probably a whole hour episode. I think uh-huh. um, that 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 um, none of those things can be considered outside of their political context, and that means if if we are seeing that as a really good thing, uh, basically, I don't think people should be put in institution against their will. Uh, but if we're seeing that it's a good thing for people to be at home, then we need an entire um, support structure like people with disabilities have who are under the age of 65 um, have quite um, extensive supports so that and really to do social things I mean I'm staying here with um, my good friend and mentor um, Mari Sheehan I'm in Albury at the moment and um, last night I went uh, to a party uh, with her her daughter who has a learning disability and it was just the most amazing it was her um, birthday and it was the most amazing party just so full of life and joy and she's lived on it she on her own that took a lot of skill development and then she made a decision that she preferred to live with a couple of her friends um, in a fantastic setup and and just there were just normal relationships there between her and her carers and <clears throat> carers who'd been her carers 20 years ago were invited and they came along and um, and some of her friends from that home and previous spaces she's lived, she'd lived in and I can honestly say I didn't see one hierarchical kind of, um, there were just a whole lot of uh, people on the same level who'd known each other heaps of years hanging out and I what I witnessed that and I just thought, this is amazing. But the kind of support, like walking around Albury now, just down the street, there's so many people with disabilities and their carers. It's just part of, it's so mm, mainstreamed it. here. Yeah. It's just like, um, you know, it's, it's not even, I'm only noticing it because I just see such a lack of that with older people. So if, if we're mm. going to say it's a really good thing for people to be in their homes, then we need to support that like we do with disabilities. And I'm glad you said that because Judy really um, sounded like someone coming from, uh, like someone who works, who's talking about disability um, training. Mm. But but it's I think it's also equally important to highlight that that kind of disability work didn't happen before um, rights had been established. Yes. Be- before deinstitutionalisation, mm. before the focus, because of, they had to undo so much of that institutionalisation, the focus needed to be on that person making decisions and and that needed to be privileged because it had been so unjustly removed from in so many aspects of their lives. And so all of that had to be dealt with before mm. introducing that kind of psychosocial um, work. So, so these things do need to come first, but I, I'm wondering what you think about enabling and training individuals as 
you know, as care partners in the home and like oh, yeah. how important that is, you know, for them individually to, you know, because I do see, I still see people trying to correct, you know, mum and dad when they come in to visit them. I still see people trying, I told you, you know, I told you why you're here, you know, like that whole thing of trying to teach people. And so I wonder about how important it is, is for those for those individuals to really understand what they could do to enable a better life lived for their loved one. So you're talking family member training. Yeah. I I, I think um, family member training, I, I think before people move in, they need to know how that particular organisation or home or space, um, their, that their commitment to privileging the self-determination of the person moving in so that families can make a decision, can we live with that? And I think setting those kind of guidelines, I think families would 100% be up for it. And I think that, that the training needs to happen in, in the context of um, witnessing how staff really put that resident first. And you've lost, you can't, you have to untrain family members as to how they've been trained when they moved in because if they're the people that staff speak to and then you're training them not to operate that way, it's going to really confuse people. Mm. Mm. I, uh, I was thinking um, when I asked that, I was thinking about our experience, which I might have mentioned before, about my dad and the step when they – dad had put a step in between the kitchen and – and the laundry, to t- like a tile step, mm-hmm. and then as he as he began to his shorter term memory started to fade, he he used to trip over it, and my sister used to say, "Dad, Dad, the step, you got to step over the step, Dad, Dad, you got to step over the step," and I said to her that he's look, he's no longer able to store new memories, and I know that that step was put in by him, but he's not remembering that now. So you've got two options fix the step or you tell him each time as if it's the first time because when you tell him that there's conflict and and he thinks that he's doing something wrong Mm. and, of course, he can't see that he's doing anything wrong because he doesn't know about the step and why are you raising your voice to him. And it came from a very (laughs) reasonably good intention and so they fixed the step, you know, and and that that was a good outcome. But it's just that. It's that understanding where people think if they, I think Ash, I think he might have used the example about speaking in, someone speaks in a different language and you talk louder. Because if you talk louder and separate the vowels, people will understand yeah, you better. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like magic. You know, it's that whole thing that we really do think if we simplify stuff, we really do seem to think that it will work. A lot of people, and and I know that that doesn't work. I know that. You know, if I'm looking down the barrel of someone's eyes and asking them what they want to do and I don't know what we're supposed to do next and we're just sitting together and smiling, you get so much more out of well, people. Th- yeah, that's true. And I think that there's the step in everything, um, it just needs to be so normalised as a disability um, accommodation. Mm. You know, if it was a wheelchair ramp, no one would be um, going. Oh, why do we need? Why can't we have a step there for the? Because the wheelchair can go down a step, can't it? You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just think that these, because we're discreetly putting them under this mysterious dementia diagnosis, we just don't think logically. Of course, we're going to need accommodations, and make things accessible. 
Um, that's just logic. And of course, accessibility for these people, I think, would be part of Dawn's, um, the Dawn method for sure. Mm. Wow. Well, that was fun. <laughs> and you're down in Aubrey, you're cold and you're it snuggled is. up. It's really cold here. Well, I'm here in, well, sunny Newcastle is turning the sun on. I'm about to drive out to my mates at Denman. Big hello to them. Um, lovely talking to you. Fantastic and talking to you, Maury. Look forward to speaking about them. What do you reckon Ash will have for us next? Um, a juggler? No, I've got no idea. I do. I, I am always really Juggling. excited, excited to see what could this next thing be. Ooh. Well, I'm heading off. Nice to see you. I'm going to let my dog back in now. Thanks for thanks for hanging out with me, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for hanging out with me, Maury. <laughs>